I'm Esther Alma. Welcome. You're listening to The Spin. It is that time for an hour where smart is sexy. The Spin, our weekly all-women of color media panel. I'm coming to you live from Star FM Studios in Accra, Ghana. Our contributors are on the line via NPR Washington, D.C. We are on air nationally across the United States and internationally in Ghana and Nigeria. This program is brought to you by the African-American Public Radio Consortium. Today on The Spin, we close the Consent Convo, a global public conversation campaign on consent. Throughout October and November, The Spin has explored, interrogated, reframed and reimagined consent with women and men. They've come from the continent. We've heard from millennials, sex educators, school principals, young ministers, the formerly incarcerated and activists. We've spoken with survivors of sexual assault. We've talked the personal, the political, the societal and the cultural. We've asked, what did we learn about consent? What do we need to unlearn? How do we create a consent positive environment? In November, the Consent Convo has been brought to you by The Spin and Emotional Justice in partnership with Essence.com. Check out Essence.com every Thursday. They will post this last show plus a written piece on the Convo contributors. Consent, sharing, unlearning, reframing, reimagining, all of that coming up for the last time. We head to the continent for our contributors this week. They are Beverly Nambozo of Uganda and Nana Akosia-Hansen of Ghana. Beverly Nambozo is a Ugandan poet and a literary activist. Her latest published book of poetry is called Dress Me in Disobedience. Beverly was longlisted for the 2013 Short Story Day Africa Award. Beverly is the founder of Babishai Niwe Poetry Foundation and the mother of two beautiful girls. Beverly joins us from Uganda's capital city, Kampala. Nana Kusia Hansen is a Ghanaian writer, a radio and television host, and a gender rights activist. Nana Kusia currently writes for the pan-African website, thisisafrica.me, and she's the creator of Let's Talk Consent, an NGO that has created interactive and dynamic workshops on consent in high schools and universities with the aim of revolutionizing sex education in Ghana. Welcome, welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you very much. Consent. You are two black women from and on the continent of Africa. You are two artists and gender activists, one from Kampala in Uganda, the other right here in Accra, Ghana. So let's talk about your personal journeys in consent. Your yes, your no. Nope. Yep. Nope. Yep. How did you learn about consent? Who taught you? How did what they taught you shape your relationship to your body, sex, power, men and women? Did the actual word ever come up for you? And if so, in what context? How did family and especially culture influence that teaching for you? How did society and culture shape your ideas of what it meant to be a woman and notions of consent? What kind of sex education was there at school or at church or at home? How did religion shape your learning about consent and sex. Let's talk consent and your personal journeys to understanding it. Beverly Nambozo, let me start with you. Your thoughts. I learned about consent from my parents and school. Those were the first platforms where I gained understanding of what was right and wrong. 
And my relationship with adults was formed from school and my parents as well. Culture generally overlooks the need for women and girls to be in full consent before a deed is done. And patriarchy runs an assumption, talking about Uganda especially. Given that we come from a culture that's heavily patriotic, it's just assumed that women have consented to anything, whether it's something to do with social etiquette, whether it's something to do with economics, whether it's something to do with a personal stance. It's just assumed. For example, in marriages, heavily religious marriages, those that are traditional marriages, it's assumed that a woman will always consent to sex because that's her role. Her role is always to be objectified sexually, and it's assumed that she should consent. I have heard women very educated in this country counseling young married women saying that, listen, no matter what happens, you should always be ready for sex. Any time is tea time. That's exactly what they said. Any time is tea time, meaning sex is as menial as tea to them, meaning any time a woman should be ready, leave aside her feelings, her sense of need, her sense of just wanting conversation, of belonging. She should give. In other words, her role is not for herself. It's always to serve. It's always to serve. And that's what society has bestowed upon her, unfortunately. So I learned about it from my parents in school. And I did grow up in a private school. I lived outside Uganda, came back. But I realized that women and girls were always disadvantaged. Always, always, always. I could see that. I could see that for some reason they always appeared to be the weaker sex. I don't know why. Church has also influenced a lot on religious structures. And these institutions always have to make women more subservient. And for me... It bothers me a lot, raising my daughters, but it bothers me a lot that culture has not evolved to see that there is a need to realize that this is really wrong. Nana Kosia Hansen, your thoughts? I was never taught about sex, much less consent. Growing up, you're taught that sex is this terrible thing you do if you're not married. And all the sex education classes we had in school was basically thriving on fear. You get pregnant, you get sick, you get HIV. And so that's how they try to deter us from having sex. I actually remember one sex ed teacher having us all sign virginity pacts. Pacts were to keep till we got married. And of course, the pacts were broken in the next few years. What that did was it came with a whole lot of shame and loss of dignity. You can't even talk about those first experiences. They're mostly non-consensual with anyone because you felt like you've done something wrong. And the real tragedy wasn't even that the pacts were broken. It was that we didn't have any space to have that real talk about dignity in sexual relationships, respect for your body, and particularly for me as a woman and my own agency. And now that I really think about it, that, that pact represents to me this huge stone wall which the adults had built around us. And we were left to this very wild, dictator-type, patriarchal world to kind of figure out our sex and sexual relationships through try and error. And now, looking back, try and error has caused many of us to go through a lot of trauma. I remember back in high school, certain things we did, we used to label the few brave girls who owned their sexuality. We used to call them things like bad girls or spoiled girls, where spoiled girl is implying that she's destroyed or dirty or rotten. And we were all trying to shy away from that label because it meant, one, the boys will never take you serious. You'll just become another uh, statistic in their sex book. And where religion comes to play, it's even worse. Now, a lot of the male pastors today preach such dangerous messages about expected gender roles 
that if you look deeper, if it wasn't just about women, the world would have seen what these messages really are, which are hate speech and actually terrorist ideology. We still preach the wives must submit to their husbands at every wedding at church. And we've had a prominent clergyman in Ghana actually say something like, and I'm quoting him exactly, Sister, when you get married, be thankful and stop misbehaving because it doesn't matter how pretty and beautiful you are. Until a man proposes to you, you're going to stay beautiful, pretty, intelligent, whatever, and rotten. Still have conversations like this where people will always cite Eve eating the fruits from the forbidden tree, so she's the harbinger of sin, and thus woman has to be subjugated as punishment. And this kind of conversation is still really embedded. This is a brief about the lessons and concerns I had. It was non-existent. So I just want to ask you to follow up on that. You talked about the trial and error that you went through, having not had any real teaching about consent. The trial and error caused you a lot of trauma. Just explain that to me. What do you mean by that? What happened? For instance, your very first sexual experience could be with another person, a young man in a heterosexual relationship, for instance, who is raised on ideas of this toxic masculinity and how you're probably applied to be one. Most times, when it was a first sexual experience, for lots of the young women, they weren't ready, but they thought it was something to do. And when it's done, what happens is you just had a hint that you didn't really want to do this, but you felt had to do it to be cool. The guy would not necessarily treat your dignity with respect. What he would do is probably show it off to all the other guys the next day that this is what happened. You're laughed at and shamed at school. And even in university, you have people shun you or labeled with certain sexual tags. So it was try and error in a sense, and you couldn't speak to anyone about this to tell you, oh, this is not how you should be treated. This is not how you should be feeling when you're entering such a sexual relationship. And it took a lot of going through such abusive relationships and not knowing your self-worth for me to recognize that these relationships weren't healthy in that sense. One of the things that comes across very powerfully is that for young girls and women, they're taught that all of their no, all the ways that they say no, is tied to being good to being pure to being moral to being worthy that it's all about no you can't do anything to a body that is supposed to be pure and kept until some magical moment where there's a ring and a husband and a wedding cake and a white dress um also kente cloth in this case and so it makes one of the things we've talked about with the consent convo is specifically about the word yes and when you've said yes this is for both of you when you said yes what has informed your yes. Because so much of the religious teaching is about no, 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 no. What we've not done is actually explore how you say yes, when you say yes, what informs your yes, whether it's desire or threat or fear or curiosity and why that matters. Because actually so much of discovering sexuality is actually about emotionality, how you feel about yourself, about your body, about the other person that the emotionality piece is completely skipped over. So for you, Beverly, when you think about your first sexual encounters, what informed your yes when you said it? What informed my yes was knowing that it was time. My first sexual encounter was really, really traumatizing. Believing that I was with someone whom I knew I would spend the rest of my life with and that we were in a safe space, so to speak, as in, Society had labeled this space safe, and the church had labeled this space safe, so I thought, now it's okay. But I was still filled with a lot of trepidation, and I thought, 
what is going on. And also, what informed it was the possibilities that would be extremely exciting and that I'd open my body up to many things. Being sexually active would empower me in a way to appreciate my body more, my sexuality, and explore other things about my life. However, it was so traumatizing because all that you read about, about, oh, when you give your virginity to somebody, it's the best moment, and that's the best gift you can give. Once again, women are giving, you understand? Not receiving. It's the best gift you can give them. It's the best gift you can give your man to know that he found you a virgin, whatever that may mean. And so it was so traumatizing for me because I had no pleasure at all. It first took several attempts before my hymen broke, and then it took me a long while before I actually began to enjoy it, weeks actually, because I was in physical pain, and then also I was in emotional pain because I felt I'd been betrayed by a system that promised that I had believed that first sexual encounter is wonderful and it's the best gift and it's so beautiful because you've kept yourself pure. But purity betrayed me, the system betrayed me, and I'll say virginity betrayed me because it was a slap in the face and it gave me the exact opposite of what I expected. I provided all the requirements. Like you cook a wonderful meal, you expect a fruitcake, you come back with stale crust of bread. That's what it was for me. So what informed my yes was wanting to know more about myself, empower myself, opening my body to this new world of experience. But it wasn't that. And I teach my girls a lot of things from a young age. I pointed out this is what the vagina is, it's how you clean it, this is what it's meant to be, don't allow anyone to touch, you know, things like that. So they're comfortable with calling a vagina vagina because that's what it is, instead of school and other people informing them with wrong messages. So they're comfortable with saying, oh, my vagina is this. I mean, if it's hurting them, they anything. They're comfortable. I'm like, yes, be comfortable with who you are at a young age. And I never had that. So now at a young age, they're comfortable with telling me, if anything is wrong or telling me that they've cleaned their vagina and things, I'm pleased with that. I'm like, that's right. It's yours. It's yours. It's your body. And the vagina belongs to you and be proud of it. Nana Kosia Hansen, what informed you? Yes. It was time. You know, it was time I was dating someone I loved. And for me, that was actually because he took his time. And the very first time was a lot of pain and he would stop. We would try again the next time. We kept trying and trying before finally we actually really did it. So in that sense, my first experience was wonderful in that my partner was patient with me. But that is just a first premise. Going beyond that comes sexual pleasure and the ideas I've been raised about how to give him pleasure. Sex ended whenever the man orgasms. I'm shy to touch myself because of my partner. I'm shy to let my partner touch me in certain places knowing that this is the pleasure I'll get from it, but I can't say it. So sex is usually something that I did for my partner at the time. And when they're done and gone, I pleasure myself. That's how my yes was informed. That it was time. I was ready. It was a great experience. But then afterwards, I couldn't have that continuous conversation about sexual pleasure. I think of one of my favorite authors, Ayi Koyama, who has a fantastic quote about giving in his book, 2000 Seasons. And he says, Giving without receiving is not generosity. It is hatred of the giving self. And I really like that quote in connection with consent, because the idea that women are raised that to be giving is kind of a measure of your femininity almost, and that the more giving you are, the more, quote unquote, of a woman 
you are. And when it comes to consent, the idea of permission. For women who are taught that it's really about submission and not permission, that feeds into the idea that it's all about what you give and there's no conversation about what you have the right to receive, which is part of the reason why we wanted to explore the consent cover from the perspective of when you say yes, what informs your yes? Why do you say yes? And what do you say yes to? One of the other things we've introduced is the idea of continuous consent so that you say yes to every stage of an encounter of a sexual engagement with someone. And that saying yes to a kiss is not the same as saying yes to penetration, that there is a world between those two spaces. And that for men and boys, both teenagers and older men, there is a learning that needs to happen around the idea of continuous consent. And there's an unlearning that needs to happen around the notion of masculinity, which reveres aggression and despises permission. But when you look at the definition of the word consent, and it has things like allow, yield, permission, sanction, all of those words, which are kind of antithetical to the way we think about hypermasculinity. And in our cultures on the continent, clearly global patriarchy is a beast that exists in all kinds of cultures without a shadow of a doubt. And here at home, whether it's Ghana or Uganda, there is such a reverence to the kind of Uga status, which is all about take and don't give. It's all about aggression, not permission. But part of what we're speaking about is the idea that you can actually find power in permission, not just pleasure, but power in permission. So as you've both gotten older and therefore had a chance to become more comfortable in your bodies and engage in more conversations. What have you had to unlearn about the way you did learn about consent in order to have some agency in terms of your body and in order to engage in pleasure? Starting with you, Beverly. I've learned that the more I'm selfish and possessive over my body and my sexual needs, the more sex is enjoyable and the more empowered I become as a woman and the more knowledge I have to pass on to my daughters and other girls who are facing the same troubling situations and who are in conflict with who they are as opposed to who they want to be and who the society demands of them, the more I'm selfish and obsessed with what I want, the more I know what makes me feel good sexually, makes me feel satisfied from talking to touching to actual penetration then the more I realize and I discover how I'm such a universe, that my body is a universe and has hardly even been explored. And even though I'm discovering this late, I'm glad I can pass it on to other younger women early. And I always want to be in a position with people who are facing conflict, about to get married, about to get into serious sexual relationships. And I feel like empowering them with this to let them discover that they are a universe that their body belongs to them, and that once they're able to know what pleases them, sex will be all the more enjoyable. And if their partner loves them and respects them, then they will also be a part of that universe of sex. And it will be an orgasmic reunion for both of them. It doesn't have to be one-sided. So it will be the pleasure for both of them. But women have to be proud enough and bold enough to communicate that. I know it's difficult because they tell you, tell yourself what you want, tell your partner what you want. But how? People don't know how. Do you write it? Do you send a message? 
Do you say it in the throes of the moment? What do you do when he's got his condom on? When? And so when they begin to understand who they are and how they communicate to themselves, it's much easier to know how they can communicate to their partners if their partners are respectful enough to understand that. Nana Kosia Hansen. What I've had to learn growing up is that owning my sexuality, being vocal about my wants and needs, it doesn't make me a whole, as society would love to tell me. What this did to me as a young woman growing up was I couldn't talk about my experiences. I couldn't share them. So there was a lot of internalized depression going on. So I've learned to be vocal about when I want sex, how I want my sex, how to explore my partner's wants and negotiate for a healthy and enjoyable sexual experience. I totally love how Beverly describes the body as the universe, to respect my body as that universe and have others respect my body as soul. And also to respect others' bodies will make us all the better for it. So absolutely no one has a right to ever make me feel terrible about myself, about my sexual choices. I'm not afraid to speak up now. And it's what I'm trying to impart to the people around me and people I work with as well. So closing question to you both. Given the journeys that you've been on in terms of personal consent and becoming more vocal, what would you then tell your 15-year-old self about what you've learned about consent? Beverly, I'll start with you. At first, I thought I'd tell my 15-year-old self it's okay to say no and walk away. But now I think that while that's powerful, I think it's a bit too simple. I would say to my 15-year-old self, your Beverly numbers are 15 years old. These are all the most important parts about your sexual being, your breasts that are growing, your vagina, your bum, your thighs, and your lips, and all of these belong to you. Love them and don't give them out to somebody unless they love them as well. Nana Kosi Hansen. I will tell my 15-year-old self that you're beautiful. You're a beautiful sexual being. There's nothing terrible about this new sexual side of yourself that is developing. In fact, it is powerful. And whatever you decide to choose to share that with should be able to recognize that power and respect that. Nobody has the right to ever make you feel terrible about yourself because of your sexual choices. Listen to others and make sure that others do listen to you. Don't be afraid to speak up and have consensual, beautiful sex. No one else can judge you. You judge yourself, live your life, and I'll be all the more better for it when I grow older. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm Beverly Nambozo in Sengyumba. You're listening to the Consent Convo. Consent is swag. Consent is smart. And smart is so sexy. I'm Akosia Hansen. You're listening to the Consent Convo. Consent is swag. Consent is smart. And smart is sexy. Yes, it is indeed. Uganda and Ghana in the house. African women. Struggle 
say your strength I never say you weak I when them fear your sense They no go let you speak Black woman a black power Black woman to the limit Was for you She's black to the limit All in the spirit You did lose your soul If you lose your own I no talk about your hair Or your shoes Or the clothes that you wear I talk about your mind I talk about your courage I they talk about your strength your hopes and how you manage to achieve so much when they give you so little. Caught in the vicious cycle, the victim of every battle. Ah, black woman, oblige your skin so. Black woman, wear your afro. You kill your skin if you go blink so. No lose yourself to TV pictures. You look good in your afro. Don't lose yourself to foreign scripture Black woman wear your afro Don't beat your skin for nobody I said this one's for you She fight for every little thing when she get She struggle for every little thing when she be She struggle to go school, she struggle to vote Maya Angelo Angela Davis Zaina Badawi Queen Abina Nina Simone One African woman whose music is a soundtrack of style and substance. The one and only Angelique Kijo. That was part one of the last of the Consent Convo, a global public conversation campaign on consent in partnership with Essence. You're listening to The Spin, a one-hour weekly international all-women-of-color podcast. I'm your host, Esther Armar. Our contributors this week are Beverly Nambozo and Nana Akusia Hansen. The Spin is brought to you by the African-American Public Radio Consortium. I'm live in Star FM studios in Accra, Ghana. We are on air across the United States in Arizona, Ohio, North Carolina, New Jersey, Mississippi, Texas, South Carolina, Georgia, and Iowa. We are on air in West Africa, in Ghana on Star FM 103.5, and in Lagos, Nigeria on WFM 91.7. And we're online. Subscribe to The Spin One on iTunes. 
for part two of the consent convo on the spin. Culture, sex education, resolution, and revolution. In Ghana, we have child brides. The numbers say 21% of girls in Ghana are married before they are 18. But rates can be as high as 39% in the northern part of the country. How can you consent to marriage as a child? So that means girls between the ages of 10 and 18 are getting married. What does consent mean within a culture that marries you as a child? From Ghana to Uganda. In Uganda, the Africa Report published an article in which it cited these police statistics. At least 21 children are sexually assaulted or raped every single day in Uganda. There are links between HIV rates and the ongoing upward spiraling numbers of child rape. We know numbers only tell partial stories and work is being done to actively reduce these kinds of horrifying numbers. Let's Talk Consent is an NGO of interactive and dynamic workshops created and led by Nana Kosia Hansen here in Ghana. Using art, poetry and discussion, Nana Kosia engages high school students, what Ghana calls SHS students and university students in consent education. Akosia Hansen says, and I quote, the best way to change the narrative is to revolutionize our sex education in schools. From here, I decided to start something myself in the hope that in a few years to come, a gender-based sex education will be a staple in schools, unquote. Hansen continues, quote, the biggest challenge in changing these deeply rooted notions of gender and sexuality, these workshops are challenging centuries of entrenched cultural lessons. From Ghana to Kenya, there, a six-week program called Your Moment of Truth is run by Ujana Africa and it's teaching boys that no means no and encouraging them to stand up against violence against women, both physical and sexual. They also teach what they call a positive masculinity that respects women's bodies and that neither boys nor men should be bystanders when women are being abused. The training increased boys' successful interventions when witnessing physical or sexual assault from 26% to 74%. That's according to a study that will be published this year in the Journal of Interpersonal Violence. Every secondary school in Nairobi, Kenya's capital, some 130,000 students will take part in this six-week program by the end of 2017. Let's talk consent. Let's talk proactive resolution, sex education, and actively unlearning and reframing consent to a new generation. So Nana Kosi Hansen, you're the creator and visionary behind Let's Talk Consent. Break down why it was so important to bring something like this into high schools and onto university campuses in Ghana. We had a nationwide discussion over the past two, three years over quote-unquote scandals that had happened in Accra and beyond Accra. Uh, sex tapes were released of some women in the north and the perpetrator, this was a man in this case, released the news and had escaped. Another very popular case of an alleged rape by a popular media personality in Ghana was also all the rage in the media. And what frustrated me with the discussions was how there was constant shaming, constant victim blaming. And in the case of the sex tape, people kept asking why the girls had sex with them in the first place, why they trusted them in the first place. And you would find that people share these sex tapes, colluding to a rape culture. Someone sent you the sex tape and your friend before you realize they're part of making it viral. And you find groups of people huddled over the videos, admiring the girls' bodies and, and 
respectful positions when it's a with dignity. And I guess I was frustrated with this so much, I decided, okay, what people need is a workshop. And, and a workshop where it needed to happen in schools with young minds before they get to an adult stage. And this requires a serious re-gender socialization, so to speak, where we have to actually raise boys and girls and that's what I wanted to do with the workshop, where we not just talk about consent, but also talk about how society's notions about gender roles, which you have internalized from your parents or your teachers, can actually collude to having a non-consensual sex, rape and assault, and, and perpetrating a rape culture, which is why we started this workshop in the first place in high school. It's been difficult because what you're actually trying to do is you're challenging the very fabric of Ghanaian society, and that's that you know how deeply entrenched our notions of what man and woman are in Accra, and that's been the biggest challenge so far. But it's picking up. Hearing about the movement to train boys to have a more diverse expression of masculinity, I was really, really awed by that, and I think that's a step people should take. It's not just girls we should be talking to, it's both boys and girls, men and women, because we all negotiate these spaces together. Toxic masculinity has to be challenged. And it's what we are trying to do with this workshop as well, between both boys and girls, both men and women, at our public workshops. Beverly Nambosa, you mentioned culture in Uganda and the way it disenfranchises girls and women in comparison to men. What kinds of things are you seeing that encourage you and excite you around transforming this work? And also talk a bit about how you use your poetry and your art to kind of interrupt these linear, narrow narratives of girls and women, what they do, what they're for, and boys and men, what they do and what they're for. We've just had an international theatre festival taking place at one of our cultural centres, and one of the performances was produced by an Ethiopian-American lady, and it was called Morning Sun, about a young Ethiopian girl betrothed to an elderly man. After her sexual encounter as a teenager, she lost her baby and also contracted obstetric fistula which was ongoing. Even after she moved to America, there was no cure for it, so she always carried a bag with her. And her mother, who was in a conflict between protecting her child and living up to society's ordeals, was in mourning after that because she lost two children, her own daughter who became listless, but also her grandchild as well. And this teenager was caught in the middle of it. So what I did in terms of my art, I wrote a review about it because teenage marriage occurs a lot in Uganda, and what parents do, who are hard up, especially in the rural areas, they give up their daughters to marriage in order to make up for their financial lack. And so a girl at the age of 15, 16, 13 is sold into marriage as a way of filling up the gap of her parents' needs, financial needs. And this play reminded me of that, because what was happening in Ethiopia in the play happens in Uganda a lot. Every cultural practice is sexualized. It is practiced for the sole purpose to serve a man's sexual pleasure. For example, female genital mutilation, which occurs in eastern Uganda. The girls there go through this horrifying ordeal by surgeons. Most of them are women, but they're told, you better do this, otherwise you will not get a man to marry. The truth is, many of these women go through horrific pain Sex is painful, childbirth is painful, and I actually have a poem I wrote in a collection which I'm going to launch next year. May I read it? Is it time to read it? Yes, please, go ahead. 
All right. So this poem is called My Sister Learns Her ABC Through FGM. My sister learns her ABC. She sings the nursery rhyme in three languages. The language of innocence, the language of tradition, and the language of woman. The letter V stands for vagina. She learns it when her own coveted V is teased and sliced, like a passion fruit. But instead of juice, there is blood dripping, dripping. Don't cry, her mother says. I am doing this because I love you. Don't say a word, her auntie soothes. We are doing this so that a man will love you. And the entire village celebrates. We have ourselves a wife. That's the end of the poem. It's something I wrote after doing a lot of research and work. Visit Eastern Uganda. And I was horrified because many of the young boys I talked to have no idea why it's a wrong practice. And I do understand how culture is important to respect and tradition, but they don't understand the health implications at all for these young girls. And that was very worrying as well. I've now taken part in one of Nana Kusia's workshops at the University of Ghana. And I remember listening to smart, thoughtful, engaged young men talk also about their rights and what they feel they're entitled to when it comes to women's bodies. And I think about the power of a sex education that actually centralizes emotionality and the idea of teaching boys and men that there is a responsibility to what you take and listening to them talking about the idea of continuous consent. And I heard a couple of young men say, well, you shouldn't start what you're not willing to finish. And so I said to him, if you start your jollof rice and you don't finish it, does that mean I should just throw it out? Or does that mean I should wait for you to decide what you want to do with the next plate of rice? And he said, oh, but that's rice. That's different. He said, why is it we can understand permission when it comes to anything material, but you immediately wrap it around a woman's body and all notions of her having agency around that are completely abandoned. And so I would listen to young men talk very thoughtfully about understanding what rape is, that no means no, right up and until it came to them talking about, okay, being on a date, going out, spending money on a meal, however large or small, spending money on a drink, however large or small, and the absolute expectation that they have the right to have sex. And so me saying, so if you think you have the right and she disagrees, what happens? So they said, well, she shouldn't go out on the date. I said, so when did it become in your mind that the act of asking her out automatically becomes an act of consensual sex? Because what you're actually saying is that, you know, you're in danger of becoming accidental rapists. An accidental meaning that you may understand intellectually what rape is, but your entrenched beliefs make it okay for you to then take what you think is yours. And... The fact that you are on a university campus doesn't mean that you have any different ideas than those men you seek power of who you consider to be illiterate, who just have different language to do exactly the same thing. So then I wonder for you both about the work we need to do to tackle the hardest hurdle, which is the cultural issue. And the fact that culture plays such a powerful role 
in shaping our relationship to ourselves and to the opposite sex, shaping our relationship to how we think we should move through the world and what we expect from women for both boys and girls. So here, Nanakosia, you really doing this work with Let's Talk Consent and taking on minds and views and cultures one institution at a time and how challenging that is in a place like Ghana, which is so steeped in patriarchy. And I wonder if you could talk about what would make moving this a bit more easy. And then Beverly, for you, if you could see something like this taking off in Uganda. Nanakosia, you first. Approaching the issue would never, ever be easy because, as you said, it's, it's a deeply cultural issue. And some of our participants will understand rape as an intellectual thing. But when it comes to their manhood and their rights, it almost becomes a blank. Like, what do you mean? Why don't I have to have sex with her whenever I want? Because I'm married to her. You know, we had that comment passed from a, a participant. And the main thing here is totally, totally changing, revolutionizing how we raise boys, how we raise men, how we tell them they can get whatever it is they need to get and women are to be gotten. One of our, our facilitators raised a really good example about even from childhood, baby, if the little baby boy cries for something, you're appeasing by giving it to him. The girl is supposed to be quiet and silent and be a lady, learn not to cry so much, learn not to demand so much. I mean, it starts from little lessons like those. And frankly, it means not this generation, but the upcoming generations where baby boys, baby girls are raised totally different. It takes an intervention through family, an intervention through media, and then an intervention through government. These are the three strands I would recommend for now. But to tackle a rape culture means to tackle gender and our notions of gender socialization. And that is the fundamental place we have to begin with. Closing thought to you, Beverly Nambozo. It really does begin from family because it's from family where we have to do a lot of unlearning. So until the guardians and the parents of those children are able to unlearn about rape culture, then it's almost going to be impossible to pass on because rape is about power. And as long as the perpetrators are in positions of power, either systematically or in any way, as long as they always assume a position of power, rape is almost a given. They will never understand the detriment of the rape culture. They never will. It's all about power. For example, you know, in simple court cases, there are thousands and thousands of them. It's all about what was she wearing? How far was it into the night? Why was she walking alone? It's never about what he did and how that should be punished because they have the power. The men have the power. The perpetrators have the power. And society has placed them in that power. Even if it's a young child, we've heard of children being defiled as young as four, three two years old, and it's all about the power again, isn't it? For example, I know certain cultures, a man rapes a virgin because that's supposedly supposed to cure AIDS or HIV. And it's all about power, isn't it? It will never be, oh, yes, the woman has contracted HIV and therefore, you know, sleeping with young boys will cure it. Either way, it's wrong anyway. But as long as a certain sex has been given the power, then 
the rape culture is going to continue. It's ingrained. It's like a virus. And it's all about the power. As long as there's a balance in power. And that's a difficult thing because we all love power. The human race loves power. It's what we strive on. It's what we work towards every day. But we should not use our power, of course, to subdue others. We should use our power for good. But that's something, again, to unlearn and to educate ourselves. And yes, it will begin in families, but it's going to take leaders to do a lot of unlearning, a lot. And it's in the simple things, isn't it? It's in every day. It's in when you're having a meal together. Is it necessary for the girls always to serve the boys? Is it necessary whenever a visitor comes in and there's an uncle that, you know, suddenly the girls have to, there's all fuss in the house to make sure this uncle is all well prepared and it's always the girls doing the work. It's a simple thing like that. For example, in McLeod University, in one of the faculties, a girl was stopped from entering the gate. Why? Because her skirt was short. And it was told that, listen, the moment you enter in this university, you will be a distraction to the tutors because your skirt is short. How ridiculous is that? And this is the faculty of law that I'm talking about. You know what I mean? In 2016. So there's so much unlearning. Whenever we move strides forward, somebody, the system, will have to take us back always. I don't know why. So we really have to do a lot of unlearning and change this system, break it down, annihilate it completely, and then just start over. And I, I, I do believe it's possible. It will take time, but it's possible. Possible indeed. Creating change, revolutionizing sex, education. Rumble, ladies, rumble. Rumble, young man, rumble. Rumble, young man, rumble. So let me turn it up another notch Lyrical double dutch The African cobra clutch You can hear it when I rock The way I pivot in the ring I'm back the doors back again Y'all shook, y'all shook Where I'm from we sing Down through the wop La 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 Make these jokers start to do the wop Raw when the needle drop My lyrics is the wire Like robbing two stones together Trying to make fire You rappers need to retire I ain't saying I'm number one. Oh, sorry I lied I'm every number you can think of Then you multiply like Jamie Foxx Out in Africa I went in the way, I went away This is like a massacre You're running away, you're running away My pet game is end game And Googie Wafi on go Fumble in the jungle Ali in the Congo What? What? Rumble young man, 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 rumble rumble young man, rumble rumble young man, rumble. We heard how Kenya and Ghana are creating fresh approaches tackling this hot topic. Can we do the same all across the continent, dear Africa? Dear Africa, it's just me, your son. Pray this letter finds you better. Hope you're doing fine. I can't believe the 10 years have gone by since I last packed my bags, got a cabin sent by. Only imagine the feeling watching your kids go. Must have been heartbreaking. 
where did the years go? But you'd be proud to know I never stopped rapping you. Every track, every show, every last interview. Plus, I hated how they obtained your image in the news. All the stereotypical narratives describing you. If they ever met you, I bet you was undisputable. The way you shine so black, so beautiful. From the depths of the Sahara, travel to Kilimanjaro. Ancient mathematics, they forgot you're the land of the pharaohs. Plus, you birthed us all. Nobody can deny. Most of the men that said they loved you only robbed you blind. Switch bank accounts, they hiding all your funds. Instead of education, they patiently give the children guns. So while I write you this letter, I need some clarity. People think that Africa's anonymous to charity. All the while, I wonder how you keep a smile on your face. Sun is still shining, reminding me of your warm embrace. To say hello to my fam, promise it won't be long. Signing off, sincerely yours is the name. Ton souvenir me rend chaque nuit, chaque jour. Oh, j'aimerais avoir des ailes pour retrouver ma maman africaine. Africa, je t'appelle maman Africa. Let's go.
corruption It's still election Brutality My brothers no get option That's why You don't forget where you come from You don't forget where you come from Charlotte, make you sit, make you chop some It's been a minute since me that you reason where we laugh some You the guy that time will be Kirisa now The chat scale is pillar loads and the pampanas Watching us suffer that we thought we would never grow up By the fireside, mama don't know what's so hot But now it was hotter than Uncle George Lane's Cheche Kule, Cheche Kofisa drove us insane Charlotte, you the guy Italian like they didn't go We wrote Jamila score, dancing with a flagpole Better get, get, you the guy Senegal 92 Ghana then Ivory Coast, they see they keep her used to you Oh, Charlotte, the cell phones from back in the day What we tell me that I'm once in America say Well, some things change and some might not But when they reminisce over you, my God Stay hitting the cops whether they like it or not That's why You don't forget where you come from You don't forget where you come from Oh Charlie, look how we all can't grow Secondary school time, catch no be small Me, I go more down where you learn and survive Got here and shit was the ish that kept us all alive But where'd you decline a nightclub for Osu? You try to find fine gold where they bounce you So you go change your clothes, come back, they let you on Just to realize you should have stayed your ass at home Cause the London boys stay here, the Yankee guys stay there They like the beast to mingle, and you were all alone Charlie These are the days who were fam never missed us From Bushke to Woodmines to Super Soul Sister But I gotta say, looking back in the day Nobody shook a cry quite like a couple go bay So some things change and some might not, but when they reminisce over you, my God. Oh, ha, I said. Oh, ha, I said. Police corruption, still election, brutality. My brother look at option. That's why you don't forget where you come from. You don't forget where you come from. For your own, so me kinda won't feel it. But my dear, can't hold. So we need your own. So I want my dear, can't say yes. Everybody got choices. This is what be in your place. So you stand for your own. So me kinda won't feel it. But my dear, can't hold. So we need your own. So I want my dear, can't say yes. That's a one part. So we shoulda we need your own. So hmm. That's a one part. That's a we shoulda say we need your one. Yo, that's a that's a one part. That's a we shoulda say we need your one. Now, that's a one part. Wait, you know what time it is. Be the be dance or king? No. And I must say Shatawali. Yeah. On this amini will beef. No. You want me to marry? Yeah. Inti mama jam again. No. Member no raw. Yeah. Inti mama wear it off. No. Bento me bona mendo no more. Yeah. Inti gana hana me wa size. No. And I must say me a king. Yeah. Cook in the ice. No. Inti fufu on the jing. Yeah. Say I cast a joke on my kiss. No. I'm a rose in my peg. Yeah. Only name for your phone. No. So ni be na bad you check. Yeah. Pussy gana police ye weak. No. Omo ye me do me ye. Yeah. But then no more lights. No. Still I will be pee. Yeah. Better boy. No. Stone boy. Yeah. Fetty wap. No. 
and I'm busy doing me. Yeah. Everybody got choices. Opian in your place, so you stand for your own. Say me can't move freely, but more than can also we need you one so I'm more than I can say yes. Everybody got choices. Missy Opian in your place, so you stand for your own. Say me can't move freely, but more than can also we need you one so I'm more than I can say yes. That's a one bar. Nope. That's a one bar. We need you one so. Hmm. That's a one bar. Nope. That's a one bar. We need you one. Yo. That's a one bar. Nope. That's a one bar. We need you one. Victoria Kimani, yeah. Lola Ray, no. and I still have my citrus success. Yeah. Nigeria for your love, no. Ghana Diano, yeah. Idi Ami, no. Kwame Nkrumah, yeah. Kula Ray Nikki Odi or fight, no. Hey, Omo Yeku, yeah. Unyesi Kabetoka, no. Ubesi Dai, yeah. Vesa Nwunyai, no. Obesan Try, yeah. Udo America Obesan, no. Oko survival of Bronx. Yeah. Oh, here near our sex pack. No. Sikeni with pot belly. Yeah. Doom so be jai. No. It's next year, you be them. Yeah. Everybody got choices. Opian in your place, so you stand for your own. Say me can't have one feeling, but more than can So we need you one so I but more than I can say yes. Everybody got choices. Missy Opian in your place, so you stand for your own. Say me can't have one feeling, but more than can So we need you one so I but more than I can say yes. That's your hour. Thank you to Beverly Nambozo and Nana Akosia Hansen. Thanks, ladies. Thank you, Thank you for having us. I want to hear myself. <laughs> Thank you to the Spin Production team, sound editor David McKeever, distributor Loretta Rucker, and the AAPRC. This has been The Consent Convo, an eight-week global public conversation campaign on consent in partnership with Essence.com and Ebony.com. Subscribe to The Spin on iTunes and check out Essence.com. The Spin, your hour of talk, where smart is also and always global and sexy. I'm your host, Esther Armour. Invest your money properly, people owe me your policy. Intellectual property, stealing, stolen, commodity, souls, controlling, robbery, cold, lack of commodity, clones, copycats, bother me, mine or not, just follow me. Honestly, honestly, all these jokers economy, puppets with no autonomy, yup, it's fucking economy. I see you looking, but you better take it easy. Tell your goons that they better take it easy. Here comes the rocket launcher, take it easy. Take it easy, you better take it easy. Too much ex mommy, take it easy. Good with the sex you be like, take it easy. Mommy, take it easy. Take it easy, you better take it easy. You moving bricks, but you better take it easy. Here's a tip, you too flash. This program has been brought to you by the African American Public Radio Consortium. NPR Distribution, and the Public Radio Satellite System.